Well, good morning, church. Oh, y'all excited to be here, aren't you? Listen, um, before we really get started, I just want to take a moment and just say, um, on a weekend like this, uh, particularly kind of as we've come through kind of the COVID season on a weekend like this, I just want to say how grateful I am for those who have given their life in order for us to enjoy a weekend like this. Amen? Really thankful for um, all of that. I've just been reminded of that again coming in this morning, just uh, uh, the blessing it is to have the freedom that we have to be able to come and worship in a place like this. So my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here in Mount Horeb, and it's an honor to be able to come and spend time with one another this morning to open up the scriptures because each and every Sunday as we come here on a Sunday morning, our goal is to open up the Bible and allow God to teach us something new, to transform us in some kind of way. Otherwise, stay at home, eat cinnamon rolls, you know, just kind of chill. Not that you're not watching right now at home too. But if you're in the room this morning, I'm really thankful that you're here. If you're online watching this morning as well, I'm thankful that you tuned in with us as well. We are one church in multiple locations, but I believe God is meeting us here and doing something in our lives this morning. And so, as Emma said really well earlier, we are in a series called Mark My Words. In our culture, when we say mark my words, what we're saying is that there is something that's being communicated that is so important, that is so trustworthy, that it must be recorded and kept for the future. And so there have been lots of words and phrases and sayings that have been offered by many people for a very long time that have been seen as important enough to continue to share over and over and over again into the future. But I find it amazing, as you look into our culture, all of the things that we say, kind of in different situations and circumstances, that find their origin in Jesus. Like, he was the first one to say them, and it's, and it's made its way into our cultural vernacular even today, and Jesus was the first one to say it. And so before it was ever our words, it was his words. So we've been looking at some of these different phrases that he coined that we have kind of taken and worked into our culture. And the first one, week one, if you were here, we talked about what? A wolf in sheep's clothing. A wolf in sheep's clothing. What we mean by this is if we see someone who maybe on the outside presents in a certain kind of way, but on the inside it's actually a different intention, you might say that person's a wolf in sheep's clothing. They, they smell like, look like a sheep who follows the good shepherd, but in fact on the inside they're dangerous wolves. And Jesus gives this warning, be careful, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. And especially, and maybe even in the church, as hard as it might be to admit, there are folks here with intentions that present on the outside, but on the inside, it's something completely different. Now last week, if you were in this room, you heard from Chad Myers. Anybody Chad Myers love hearing Chad Myers preach? Man, I learn something every time. Chad did a great job last week talking about our second phrase that we're looking at in this Mark My Words series, and he talked about turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek. One of the most powerful things he said last week, I thought, was his statement when he said, listen, when we choose retaliation, it only leads to escalation. The only way things really change is through sacrifice. It was a great reminder last week and a great phrase to look at as well. So this morning, we are looking at a new phrase that Jesus coined that we have brought into our culture and we say often, and that phrase is this, the blind leading the blind. In our culture, what we mean when we say that someone is the blind leading the blind, it's someone with no knowledge, no insight, who's giving leadership to someone else who has no knowledge or no insight. I know you've never experienced this before, right? It happens all the time. You see someone, you're like, what are you doing? Like, that person doesn't know anything about anything, and they're leading someone else who doesn't know anything about anything. That's a bad mix. And Jesus said they're like the blind leading the blind. Now, what do we mean when we say that in our culture? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, uh, my wife and I, before we got married, and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Joe and Kristen, before they got married, just months before each one of us um, were wed together, we decided to go mountain biking. We used to do it a lot of times, go to Harbison and mountain bike together in our more fit days, pre-children and such. 
We would go mountain bike and spend time. And one particular day, we were out mountain biking. We got a little bit of a late start. And we were a few miles into the woods when we came on this kind of like technical piece of the trail. So we told the girls, listen, Joe and I want to bike this part. So you just go a little forward and meet us where this trail comes back into the main trail. We'll meet you there and then we'll continue on. So we departed from one another. We fully expected in a few minutes just to meet back up on the main trail and continue on. But as Joe and I came around the corner and came back to the main trail, we pulled up and guess what? Two blonde girls, nowhere in sight, gone. So we're like, oh, surely they went back to the place where we started. Maybe they got confused. So we rode back and hard as fast as we could back to the place where that trail went off. Nobody there. So we rode back far and fast as we possibly could past where we were hopefully to meet them and they weren't there. And we went as far as we could, couldn't see anything, nothing. We came back multiple times. We were scared for two reasons. One, we were about to get married to these girls and they were gone. Maybe it was a plan, I don't know. But two, Jenna and Kristen's mom was going to kill us because we lost their daughters in the woods somewhere along the way. And that was already a concern from the get-go. So we rode and pedaled as fast as we possibly could, trying to catch up to hopefully wherever they had gone. We could not find them, nothing, no trace. Finally, we came across this one couple that were biking miles down the trail. We're like, have you seen any girls? They're two blondes. They look exactly alike. Have you seen them? Like, actually, a few minutes ago, we did. They were going this way. And so we, we pedaled hard, and we never saw anything. We made it all the way to the parking lot and nothing, miles down. It had been, been a long time. It was starting to get dark. So we're like, what do we do? So we were about to call the park rangers. We're like, we don't know what to do. We've lost two girls in the woods somewhere. We don't know to, how to find them. And so we were about to kind of make this next step when all of a sudden out of the woods comes Kristen and Jenna like a scene from Homeward Bound. You know what I mean? Some of y'all get that on the way home. Coming out of the woods and they're back and they're home. We're like, where have you been? And Jenna said, well, we didn't know what to do. We waited and it took so long. We thought maybe that you had passed us up. And so we thought, uh, what do we do? So Jenna said, when we were kids, my mom used to tell us a story every night before we go to bed about two girls who got lost in the woods. The only problem was I couldn't remember the moral of the story. Do they stay there or do they keep going till they get out of the woods? So we decided to keep going. So she pushed her sister so far and so fast that eventually we got home. We said, we cannot tell my mother-in-law. We cannot tell Connie. She'll be furious. But Kristen was sick all night long from, from pedaling and biking so hard. So we had to tell the truth and she was a little upset. But we made it. But the moral of the story is when you make this kind of decision, Jenna, my wife, was, was the blind leading the blind. Right? No knowledge, no insight, telling the other person with no knowledge and insight, here's what we should do. Just keep pedaling. We'll get out of here eventually. We'll make it home safe. If you get lost in the woods, stay there until someone comes to find you. Don't be the blind leading the blind. Now, it really was that kind of situation. And the reason that this discussion this morning is so important is because everyone, I believe, almost all of us in the room this morning, and many who are watching online right now, if we're not careful, we will find ourselves following someone that we shouldn't follow. Because choosing who we follow is the most important choice that we will ever make. Choosing who we follow is one of the most important choices that we will ever make. It doesn't matter if you are a middle school student here this morning, if you are a, a parent here in the room this morning, if you are a seasoned person with wisdom here this morning. Who you choose to follow is incredibly important. Now think back to the time maybe when you were like in, in eighth grade. I remember being in eighth grade and having my first relationship. You know, I'm like, I don't know how to do relationships. There's this girl, she's kind of cute and stuff. Who do I talk to about this? I, I need someone to lead me. So what do we do as eighth grade kids? We talk to some other eighth grade kid about how to do relationships, right? Why? They don't know anything more than you do. But we go for them, to, to them for advice. It's the blind leading the blind. I mean, think of all the ways in our culture this, this happens. Many of us, we are trusting our future, the direction of our life, the choices that we make, the trajectory of our life, to people who have no idea what they're doing. 
Many of us, if we're not careful, we are consuming and repeating what we believe to be critical truths that we find from Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, as if it's gospel, without any critical analysis or questioning at all. Think about all the places in our life, whether it comes to learning to drive, graduating from high school, college life, the workplace, getting married, having kids, aging parents, you name it, all the things that we are in need of someone to help lead us. But too often, we're just the blind leading the blind. Now, this is the reason that I believe Jesus's life in ministry is marked by two really simple words. 13 times in the gospel, Jesus says these two words. He says this, follow me, follow me. Jesus oftentimes will come across someone, he would say to them, listen, follow me, and that person would drop their nets. They would drop what they were doing and they would follow Jesus. Because Jesus is one who knows more than we could possibly, he's the best way to live, and following him is incredibly wise. You see, the Jewish religious culture was built around a leader-follower model. You would have rabbis who were teachers and disciples who were learners. And so it makes sense why those would give up whatever they were doing to follow Jesus because they considered Jesus to be their rabbi. He was their teacher, and they were the disciples learning under him, being shaped and molded by him. They chose to follow him. Here are three of those examples. Matthew chapter four, verse 19 says this. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Then Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus went up from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. Then Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, my students must deny themselves, take up their cross, and what? Follow me. At the heart of Jesus' ministry is an invitation to follow him, to live the way he lived, to be shaped and molded by him. In fact, within Jewish tradition, there was a phrase that described disciples, and it says they were to be covered in the dust of their rabbi. They were to follow their teacher so closely, they would literally be covered by the dirty dust of the ancient Near Eastern ground, covered over them as they followed the one they had chosen to follow. Jesus offers us the best way to live. He is the true teacher, the one that we can trust, which leads us to the passage of scripture that we're gonna talk about today where we discover this ancient phrase that it's made its way into our cultural vernacular. And to set the scene for this passage, what we have is a group of Pharisees or who were teachers of the law. Many considered the Pharisees to be the people who were supposed to be the leaders of the Jewish community. They were the religious leaders of the day, and they came to corner Jesus with a question as they often tried to do. The Bible says they have traveled all the way from Jerusalem to Galilee to meet Jesus to ask him a question that they believed to be very important. This trip was probably eight to 12 miles on foot to come and find Jesus, and here's the question they ask him. Jesus, why do your disciples, your followers, why do they break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. To which every mother in the room would reply what? Amen. Wash your hands. Say your prayers because germs and Jesus are everywhere, right? Now, I'm confident my wife was probably a part of this elder board who decided this should be one of the major traditions that we should stick by. Wash your hands before you eat your food. It's something we have to do. But it goes beyond just like making sure you don't get dirt into your mouth as you eat. This particular tradition that they're asking Jesus about was a tradition that was a part of 613 different commands known as the mitzvah. 
and they were found in the book of Torah. And these commands that were a mixture of scripture but also customs and traditions from elders and those who thought they were good ideas to add to help Jews live a good and full life. So these religious leaders traveled eight to 12 miles on foot to get to Jesus to ask Jesus about why his disciples were disregarding the traditions and the customs of those who come before him. Traditions and customs. I want you to pay attention to the way Jesus answers this question that they ask as they come all the way to him. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 15, verse three. If you would stand as we read God's word together. Jesus replied, and, who do you, and, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition, Jesus says. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is going to be devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, he says. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, and some translations from their heart, is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, he said. They are what? Blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may have a seat. So Jesus' answer here is very telling about why we're even touching on this particular phrase. These guys come to Jesus, these Pharisees, teachers of the law, should have been leading the Jewish people, come to Jesus and say, listen, why do your disciples refuse to take part in the tradition, the custom of washing your hands before they eat? And I love what Jesus says. Okay, you've come all the way here, eight to 12 miles, to ask me about why they're not staying true to the tradition. Jesus says, let me ask you this. You are neglecting the very commands of God. And the one he's talking about is one of the big 10, right? Honor your father and mother. What was going on at that point in time is there were people who were being instructed by the Pharisees if they had money and resources, instead of taking care of their aging father and mother, instead take that money and give it to the synagogue. That was the better thing to do. And Jesus was like, you're going against God's commands. Honor your father and mother. And yet you come here upset about tradition. You see, Jesus understands the Pharisees were missing the plot. They were missing the forest for the trees. They didn't understand what they were asking. Jesus says at the very end, they were what? Blind guides. And he says, when the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, Jesus' disciples come to him like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you understood this, but the Pharisees were a little ticked off that you just asked that. He's like, I know. It was inflammatory to ask them this because the Pharisees were meant to be the ones who were helping guide people into a way of loving God and loving others. But Jesus said this because they were missing it. They were blind. Now, the author uses a specific Greek word here. The word is tuflos. Everyone say tuflos. Such Greek scholars, tuflos. This word is used in multiple different ways. It could mean literally physically blind, but it can also mean, particularly in this context, being intellectually or spiritually blind. Jesus says the very ones who are meant to be leading you are themselves confused. They are concerned about the traditions and customs, and yet they're disregarding the very commands of God. 
This is how Jesus knew they were blind guides because they were more concerned with tradition and the commands of people rather than scripture and the commands of God. Now, in my life, I've experienced both blind guides and really good guides. In my time within the church, I've experienced both. When I was in middle school, late middle school, early high school, I live in Texas, and I went to this youth ministry, and we had a youth pastor there, and this youth pastor was very intent on teaching all of us within the youth ministry how to do all the right things. I remember we had a really thick book that all of us got that we were supposed to read as we come to youth group and talk about each time, and it was, it was very much focused on being perfect, on perfection. I remember even as a middle school kid, high school kid, being concerned because it made me feel just shameful and guilty as opposed to feeling free to live this life for God. Because all we ever talked about, I remember one of the conversations specifically was this, do you think you could go without sinning for one second? We're like, yeah, of course we could not sin for one second. How about one minute? We're like, well, I suppose if you put all the seconds together, yeah, probably for a minute. How about for a whole day? Like, probably all the minutes, maybe for a whole day. How about a lifetime? I was like, this just feels so much pressure. I don't know that I can do this. And what was not ever talked about was something called grace. And so from a, from a middle school kid to a high school kid, even years later, we found out this individual who'd been leading us and, and putting this pressure and expectation on us, they themselves were not living it out in their own personal life either. It was painful, it was disappointing. And years later, I, I finally come to college here in South Carolina at CIU, and I met two individuals, you might know them, named David Olshine and Huli Goddard. And these two leaders were different kinds of leaders, it felt different to be around them. It felt different to spend time with them. I mean, certainly we would talk about ways of living, but they were much more focused on knowing the one who would make that change within me instead of me just trying as hard as I could to do the right things all the time. It was a different kind of thing. One is a blind guide. The other one sees clearly. It was a refreshing thing to be a part of. And so Jesus having this conversation with these Pharisees, he calls them blind guides. As the blind leading the blind, they both end up in a pit. And in the end, I think the poet Maya Angelou said it very well when she said this. She makes a powerful observation when she says, we are only as blind as we want to be. In the end, we are really only as blind as we wanna be. I think it's true for this context. What I noticed most between these two experiences is that the blind guide, their focus is on power. Notice, 613 different laws, expectations that were not scripture alone, but they were full of tradition and custom that had been layered and layered and layered. Regulation, restriction, putting up barriers, far more difficulty to have a relationship with God in that kind of way. But a leader with clear vision is someone who gives up control and offers a simplified way of knowing God and loving him. In fact, Jesus says it in other ways in the gospel when he says this, you wanna know what the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus says, all of the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Two, compared to 613. If you do these two things, if you live in obedience to God, if you sacrificially love people, Jesus says, then you get it. That's clear eyes. That's seeing clearly as opposed to these blind guides. You see, some leaders, I'm convinced, would prefer to remain blind because they have vested interest in making sure they are the gatekeepers to truth. And the Pharisees were dedicated to this. So Jesus says that when a blind guide leads a blind follower, they both end up in a pit. And it really is the story of two ditches that I wanna talk about this morning. 
I remember when I started driving at 16 years old. I mean, in the most simple form, driving is keeping the car between two ditches, right? I mean, of course, there's a spectrum on how good you can be as a driver. Perhaps you can do better than that. But in the very end, if you can keep it out of this ditch and keep the car out of this ditch, then you've done really, really well. And there's two ditches that we can experience in our life. When we follow a blind guide, there are two sides that we could possibly go to. And just like driving, as you get close to one ditch, what you have to do is pull the wheel back the other direction. But if you're not careful as you pull the wheel the other direction, you might find yourself in danger of going into the opposite ditch as well. Following Jesus and living this Christian life is learning how to keep the tires between the two. One of the ditches that we fall into if we're not careful is the ditch of legalism, which was the Pharisee's M.O. You see, legalism is a spiritual way of looking spiritual on the outside without it really affecting us on the inside. Everything looks good and crisp and perfect, but in truth, our hearts are far from God. It's adherence to rules for rules' sake. You see, legalism is in love with tradition. We've always done it this way. We never should do anything else. You may have been led in some of these kinds of ways. Perhaps as a child, you heard things like, listen, no playing cards, no matter what, no washing your car on Sunday. If you do all the right things, then you can make it into heaven. That's legalism. And the result of that ditch is not grace, it's guilt. But there's another ditch on the opposite side that we can go into. It's anti-nominism. It means anti-law. And this ditch on the other side is one that if we're not careful, we can be led into as well by blind guides is a disregard for any kind of authority or expectation at all. I'll live my life the way that I want to, the way that I see fit. And either one is a mistake. Either one is a ditch that we can't fall into because these two ditches, one, there is no truth, and the other, there is no grace. And living a life of Jesus is learning to keep the tires between the two. We learn how to live the way Jesus did as it's written in the book of John when it says that Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. It's a tension that we're invited into. So here's my assumption this morning. I don't believe anybody really intentionally tries to be a blind follower I don't think anyone intentionally tries to be a blind leader. I think some of those things unfortunately happen without us really knowing it. And so to avoid both of these things, we have to live a life full of clear vision. The book of Proverbs chapter 29 is a verse that's been a life verse for me for a very long time. Proverbs 29, 18 says it this way in the KJV version. It says, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If we don't have a vision for who God wants us to be, if we don't have a vision for the person that we want to become, then we'll never have a direction for our life. Without vision, we perish. Having clear eyes is incredibly important. The full life of God has everything to do with the way that we see life clearly so that we know who to follow, so that we know how to lead in such a way that it gives life. So how do we develop good vision? I think the first way is this. Maybe some of us in the room, we need to get an eye exam. Has anybody got an eye exam in the past year, seen a doctor and gotten that checked out? Then the best. <laughs> Not really. It's been a long time since I've been to the optometrist. My mom yesterday was like, you should probably go, like have that checked out. I'm like, I think I can see okay. But I have no objective way of knowing that. We cannot assume that we have 20-20 vision. So sometimes it's good for us to step back and be able to assess how well we are seeing things, how well, what kind of vision we're having, because when you go and see the optometrist, they give you that little 
wood stick you put in front of your eye and you read the paper at the far end, letters large to small, random letters, you gotta name them all. And the reason is they're trying to assess whether you're in need of glasses or some kind of contacts to help adjust your eyesight. For those of us within the church, we cannot assume that we see perfectly. It's good oftentimes to take a step back and recognize is there's something that we're missing here. You see, the Pharisees, when they started out, they had good intention. Their intention was to help the Jewish people live in such a way that was godly and holy. But over time, that intention inflated to a crushing load of tradition and ritual that hindered the spiritual condition without helping the spiritual condition. They should have taken back and had an eye exam themselves. Maybe ask yourselves these two questions. Number one, do you place a higher value on church customs rather than biblical principles? Or two, do you expect things from yourself or expect things from others that is not even required by scripture? That could be a problem. And it could be eyes that are not seen clear. When we check our vision, we might determine that if we're not careful, we are ditch bound. Perhaps for some of us, we're missing the clear truths of scripture that we disregard, and perhaps not just for ourselves, but disregard for others as well. Take this eye exam with me for a second. The Bible says this. There's an expectation that we would live as generous people. There's an expectation that we would stand up for folks who are oppressed, that we would take care of creation, that we would honor our parents, that we would take a Sabbath rest, that we would live in obedience to God just for starters. But for many of us, we ignore these things. We neglect these things. And if we're not careful, our tires are pointed towards anti-law. I'll live however I want to. But on the opposite side of the coin, if our tires are turned toward legalism, we might find ourselves adding things, extra biblical things to the expectations of people, like a certain dress to be able to come into worship or chastising people with tattoos or forbidding people to dance to the Cupid shuffle, you know what I mean? If we're not careful, we end up adding things to scripture beyond what Jesus has even said. This is what it looks like to love me and to love me well. And it becomes crushing. Both ditches are an adventure in missing the point. And when we take a moment to assess ourselves, we can sharpen our sight. One of the ways we can do this, I believe, is an attention to attitude rather than just action. Attention to attitude and not just action. You see, Jesus ends up this discussion about the Pharisees by going back to the illustration of eating food with clean hands. Jesus says to them, no, no, don't you realize that it's not what we eat and put into our mouth that defiles us, but instead it's what comes from our heart out of our mouth that defiles us. It's something on the inside as opposed to something external. And Jesus says it's about your heart. You see, you can do all of the right things, but if you do them for the wrong reason, then it doesn't really matter. Jesus says, empty religion, that's what the Pharisees had. And what Jesus is inviting us into is a love relationship. It's completely different. One is focused on just action. One is focused on just attitude. And my boys at home, I'm trying to teach them this lesson. I have two two boys who are a bit rowdy, and I'm trying to teach them this lesson at home in different kinds of ways. And I would love for my boys to do the right things, whether it's cleaning their room, eating vegetables, watching their sister, you name it. I want them to do the right things, not because there's a reward if they do them. I don't want them to do them so they can get the end result that they're looking for. I would much rather my boys do the right thing 
as a result of the relationship that they have with their mom and dad. I would much rather my boys choose to do the right thing because they respect and they love us. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I mean when I'm talking about attitude versus just actions. Now again, having just an attitude in the right way without doing anything, that's a ditch too. But at the same time, just doing the right things for the right thing's sake without really having a heart posture towards God of love, then that's another ditch as well. We can walk in tandem, right foot, left foot, with attitude and action. Attitude and action. That's how we have clear eyes. One of my greatest joys of working here at this church is even as one of the pastors of the church, I get to lead a group of high school boys in a small group every Tuesday at Moe's because of course we would go to Moe's. So every Tuesday at four o'clock, we meet up at Moe's, we spend time together, we open the scriptures together, we talk about life, we do life with one another. There's a question that I often ask them when we get together and it's very simple and the question goes like this. What's your relationship with God like right now? What's your relationship with God like right now? And almost always the answer goes something like this. Well, um, I haven't been to church in a while. I should probably go to church. Uh, so I'll, probably, I'll be there on Sunday. I'll come to church on Sunday. Uh, I've missed a few weeks, but I'll, I'll try to be there. I, I've, been, I've been reading the Bible lately, but I'll dust it off and I'll open it up this week. Probably I'll read the Bible this week. And I've not really been praying much. I know I should pray, so I'll probably pray. And I'll interrupt them every time. I'm like, that's not what I asked. I didn't ask you, are you checking all the boxes? Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Are you going to church? Of course I want you to do those things, but I don't want you to do those things because it's the right thing. I want you to do those things because you love God. When I'm asking you what your relationship with God is like, what I'm really asking is this, do you love him? Are you receiving love from him? Are you loving people? Are you filled with joy? Are you, are you showing the fruits of the Spirit, patience and kindness, self-control? That's what I'm asking. I'm not asking about checking boxes. You see, the Pharisees were all about checking boxes. And because of it, Jesus says, you're blind. You're missing the point completely. And the problem is not that you're gonna lead yourself into a pit, into a ditch, but potentially you're gonna lead someone else there as well. I wanna be the kind of pastor, the kind of leader is able to see clearly enough to know that I don't want a congregation of people who just do the right things. I want a congregation of people who really, truly love God. And that ultimately will affect the way that we live. But I'd rather have it that way than the other way around. So it's interesting to me that as Jesus talks about these Pharisees and calls them blind, blind guides, it's interesting to me that in a, a book called the book of Acts, after the Gospels, in chapter nine, you have one of the individuals who's a part of the Pharisee sect. He, his name was Saul. You might know him as what? Paul, right? Don't skip ahead, though. Saul, at this point in time, he was a Pharisee. He was a, a defender of this tradition, so much so that he would travel around and arrest Christians. He was persecuting the church. And this guy, Saul, he is completely and totally focused on this kind of way of living, we want to make sure that we follow all the right things. If you don't do it and you get out of line, you'll be punished for it. Acts chapter 9 says that Paul is on his way to Damascus actually to continue this persecution. He's breathing threats against the church in Acts chapter 9. And in verse 8 and 9, something happens that changes everything. Here's what it says. First, Saul sees this bright light. It knocks him off his donkey. And then it says, Saul got up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see what? Nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. I find it really ironic that the very people who Jesus says are blind, who can't see the forest for the trees, who are missing it all, that particular individual, a Pharisee, just like the rest, he's actually physically blinded in order to be able to see for the first time. It's not lost on me that this kind of thing would happen. For three days, he can't see. The Bible says scales fall from his eyes and for the very first time ever, he sees clearly. And Saul becomes Paul, writes a majority of the New Testament, becomes an amazing person who takes the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere. Why? Because he was blinded at one point in time, but then he was actually able to see and see clearly. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, to bring us full circle. I love the way he says this. Very simply, he says, follow my example as I follow what? The example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see, in the end, the only one who's worth following is Jesus. This is why he says, follow me. He knows he's the only one who can guide us in the kind of living that would lead us into a deep relationship with God and a loving relationship with people. Follow Christ. Even Paul, who has this experience, he knows you should follow me, but don't just follow me. Only follow me because Jesus is the one that I'm following. We need more leaders that people are willing to follow who follow Jesus Christ first. I wanna be that kind of leader. I wanna be that kind of follower. I wanna find people who love Jesus so much, who look so much like Christ, that I would say I wanna spend more time with you so I think it'll affect me well. I don't wanna be a blind guide. I don't wanna be a blind follower. I wanna see clearly. There's a story that I recently watched on YouTube about this little boy, you may have seen this. This little boy is four months old. And this video of this four-month-old little boy he was born with the, without the ability to be able to see clearly. Everything was blurry and distorted. In this video, it's an amazing video of his family coming together and they're putting glasses on him for the first time. And the glasses are hilarious, little blue glasses, little, little toy glasses with elastic on the back. And he's kind of agitated and they put the glasses on his head and they slide him down over his eyes. The most amazing thing to see, it like touched me this week as I watched this video and this little boy, the glasses come over his eyes and for the first time ever in his life, he's able to see his mom clearly. She's right in front of his face and you can just watch him. He takes a second to recognize what's going on and for the first time sees his mom's face clearly and a smile begins to creep over his face. And there is such joy all of a sudden on his face because he can see everything. He looks around the room. He can't believe that what was once distorted and blurry and fuzzy now has become incredibly clear. I think it's a lot like the grace of God. I think it's what Paul experiences. It's a lot of what a lot of us in the room have experienced. We've taken a drink of full grace and it's changed everything for us. It's, it's clarified our eyes to see the way God loves us, what he wants for us and what it looks like to follow him and follow him well. My prayer for all of us this morning is that we will be able to see through clear eyes full of the grace, the mercy, the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. There's a well-known hymn that I think says it well. And you've heard it before. It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to just first confess that there have been times in my life where I've been focused on the wrong things, that I've been blinded myself. And as someone who has served in the church for 16 years, God, I know there have been times where I've led others in the same kind of confusion. Forgive me. I pray, God, this morning that you would offer us such grace that we would accept your love, your mercy into our lives in such a way that we'd be able to see clearly who we should follow. That would be you, Jesus. Help us see clearly that we can lead others as well towards you, Jesus. Follow our example as we follow Christ. Help that to be the mantra of our church. I pray, God, that you would help this church to be a place where we don't do the right things because we're checking boxes and trying to impress God in some kind of way that always fails. Help us to be the kind of church that is in deeply in love with you. We have a desire to love you with our hearts, souls, mind, and strength that we might love others the way we love ourselves. If we can get those two things right, God, we've accomplished everything. So would you help us today? Protect us from being blind guides. Protect us from being blind followers. Help us to see the truth. Help us to love you with our whole hearts. It's in your name that we pray. And everyone said,